Hello and welcome to Podcasting the Past, a project led by the University of Glasgow that aims to help educators collaborate, discuss and teach higher history. My name is Fraser McGowan and I will be your host for today's episode. Today's episode will focus on Key Issue 2, an evaluation of the obstacles to the achievement of civil rights for black people up to 1941. Don't forget to check out the link in the podcast description, which will take you to some of our tools and resources. Listen, baby. Do you feel that it's wrong to discriminate against a person solely on the basis of his race or color? Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. I am fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Peggy Brunash, who is a lecturer in the history of Atlantic slavery here at the University of Glasgow, and by Anne McMillan, who is a teacher of history and modern studies at Brannock High School in North Lanarkshire. So first of all, I'd like to ask you, Anne, what are the key challenges of teaching this topic to high school pupils? In terms of within the context of higher history, the, the main difficulty with this particular uh, essay is that the Analysis points are usually made in that they are a positive component, as in something that helped move something forward or helped contribute to something, and analysis plus is usually the, the bad stuff. Because these are obstacles to the achievement of civil rights, you actually want the good stuff to say why it was so much of an obstacle. So in terms of analysis and analysis plus, this is something that either needs to be flipped so that the analysis plus is the uh, good stuff and the analysis is the bad stuff, or it needs to be made very clear that we are focused on something as an obstacle, so why was it significant as an obstacle? Once the kids get that, uh, they really do particularly enjoy this, uh, this topic. Um, civil rights as a whole is something that they do know about. It's it's covered a lot in popular culture in terms of television and movies. So they do have a basic understanding of it. So sometimes it's about tackling maybe some false ideas they have about it and then also getting into the nitty gritty. What are the names that we know? What are the events that we know? And then expanding that, that world for them. Um, so sometimes it's, like I said, about tackling some things they might not have quite right. But a lot of the time it's really exploring here's what actually went down during that time period and they're always they're always really really engaged with it it's a topic that has a lot of shock factor to it which can sometimes be very effective you know when you hit them with something that said well if you looked like this in that time period here is a massive list of things that you could not do and they really really engage with the the, the shock element of it um the only other thing that is sometimes a bit hard is the factor on divisions in the black community. There's a lot of content in there eh, in terms of who they need to know and what they need to know, but once they get it, they're fine. So that's something that has to be streamlined in terms of what, what do they really need to know um, because they do find that one eh, a bit harder, a bit harder to remember. Okay, and are there any lessons that you have delivered that were particularly effective in doing that, making sure that you are bringing something outside of your own lived experience to the lesson for uh, 
um, students. There was a, a lesson last year, just before we went into lockdown, where um, I had obtained a copy of the Louisiana Literacy Test, which was a, or is unfortunately, uh, a fascinating document where um, anyone who sat it had, I think it was 10 minutes for 30 questions, which supposedly anyone should have been able to answer, but were extraordinarily difficult and it was almost impossible to pass so the kids came in sat them down I said right we're just going to do a quick test on what we know so far put the timer on the board and then I sat the test down in front of them and you could just see their faces starting to you know squirm and you know they really weren't sure and I said no you can't ask me any questions you have to get it done your time's running out and I really piled the pressure onto them and really you know got them to think you need to get this done and then obviously at the end of it they were shouting at me and getting annoyed at me and I said right so that's actually a primary source from the time period we we're looking at and it sparked a really really excellent discussion about the the injustice of it all um, even led into equity versus equality um, in terms of obviously that was a blanket test but who was it really targeted at so them actually experiencing that injustice themselves was a really really effective way to get them to understand how people were being impacted and disadvantaged uh, at that particular time period um, and then they told me I should never use it again because they hated it <laughs> um, but the learning impact that came from it was fantastic but they hated the test so it definitely it was definitely really effective it worked, uh, it worked it did what I wanted it to do. Peggy in terms of the the recent research on this on this topic the obstacles to the achievement of civil rights for black people prior to 1941 what are the what are the kind of new research directions? What are the new findings that are going to change the way this, this issue is taught? Uh, I would say that understanding this history in a more nuanced way, in a more inclusive way that doesn't focus on a static understanding of, of social movement, particularly of civil rights as a social movement that started in the way it's usually considered from at best, 1954, the Brown versus Board of Education, but usually it's the decade of the 1960s. One of the emphasis is to understand that the evolution, the flow of this social movement has been continuous despite its stops and starts from in certain ways before World War Two before World War One even, but uh, to make it, I suppose, uh, easier in certain ways, it is thinking about what were not necessarily key leadership roles, but the key grassroots organizations that could and their strategies that were built upon decade after decade until we get to some of these larger legal uh, changes that we consider, like the Board of Education, uh, Brown versus Board of Education, 1954 slash 55, or the bigger ones by the time we get to the 60s, like the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that a lot of the recent research has added some support to the case that there's a long civil rights movement and there are lots of continuities in it um, which kind of is part of a process of incremental change of, of small steps towards towards liberation towards towards the towards the big legislative events that happen later in the twentieth century. 
Yes, because the structural power of racial inequality is insidious in that it affected, in some ways still affects, society, not just those in the South, but the entire country in its social aspects, its legal aspects, its political aspects, and certainly its economical aspects. So that requires a multi-pronged set of strategies to be able to dismantle any of these um, long-standing these issues. So in certain cases, as you've already said, they are incremental. In certain cases, it was ideas of unionizing in terms of, of labor. In other cases, it was in terms of affecting change in education for children. In other cases, it was uh, looking at voting rights and trying to make changes there. It had to be attacked at different angles at different times in slow, small processes. Yeah, because a lot of the analysis and evaluation that comes, particularly from the, this issue, unfortunately gets a very repetitive for the kids, but a lot of the time it's saying, well, yes, this was very successful, however, would it have happened without, um, you know, the challenge uh, with Brown versus the Board of Education? Would it have happened without the rise of this organisation? You know, was it as effective? it wasn't as effective because of the lack of political influence. A lot of them are almost completely interlinked because they're so interdependent on each other. Because like Peggy was saying, because they're sort of small incremental steps, you, you can't have one without the other. And a lot of the analytical points tend to get tend to get built around that um, because it was so difficult. Like you say, attacking it from all these different points was a, a, a really good approach in terms of how that made it successful then becomes very difficult to analyse as a result. That brings me on to my next question, which is what are the key points of analysis and evaluation that you feel that we need to get across to students who are, who are um, enrolled in this hire, who are doing this topic? What do, what do we need to get across to them? What's the key points? The, there's actually a very difficult component to this particular essay because when analysis is taught, it's usually taught that um, was how much was this knowledge a good thing and then how much was this knowledge a bad thing for your analysis and for your analysis plus because these are obstacles to achieving rights the good stuff is how much of an obstacle it was so it's sort of flipping the good and bad on its head that's one of the key components especially my pupils have found very difficult because they want the analysis to be here's why it helped and they want the analysis plus to be here's why it didn't help when it's actually reversed in this one you actually want to comment and say why it was such an obstacle for analysis and then say why it was not much of an obstacle for analysis plus so in terms of that that's probably one of the key components that needs to be focused on now you can just flip it and say you're doing your analysis plus first and then your analysis but kids like routine, kids like structure, so I tend to keep it the same way and then say to them, remember this is an obstacle, so why was it bad? And then this was an obstacle, so why was it not much of an obstacle? In terms of evaluation, it's very difficult to comment on as a whole because it depends what the pupil chooses as their line of argument. Um, for me, I tend to encourage them to pick um, lack of political influence uh, as their uh, strongest argument. I think it's the easiest to compare against because going back to Peggy's point, the voting restrictions and the lack of support at a federal level, um, particularly from the presidents during this time period, is that 
that then made everything else really, really difficult. Um, there's a, a really good documentary on Netflix at the moment called Whose Vote Counts, and it was in the run-up to the US presidential elections. Um, and they go right back to these voting restrictions and how they, mainly how they are still an issue, but it does look at how that one component then sort of explodes into the rest of society and how it makes life and challenge much more difficult. So when we're, when we're talking about the, the issues um, or the obstacles to, that prevented black people from achieving equal civil rights mm -hmm. before 1941, mm -hmm. is it fair to say that we, we kind of think of these obstacles in terms of their hierarchical ordering? So, so, so political, a lack of political influence on the part of black people is the kind of bedrock issue. If they had more political influence, then things like legal impediments would not be such an obstacle. Is, is, that, is that fair to say it, Peggy? Is that the way to put it? I would say we have to be a, a bit careful in that because, yes, there is diversity in the black community in terms of how to come about structural change for the black communities of America. How that would come about was always uh, a, a place of of contention. And we're talking as far back as the end of the, the 19th century when you think of Booker T. Washington's approach versus W.E.B. Du Bois's approach. That idea of slow and steady and, and let's all stay um, in our own place and move very slowly and kind of wait for change to happen. The ideas of accommodation um, by people like Booker T. Um, and his followers was at odds with those who were very uh, much for aggressive action immediately. So you had uh, the black community not quite uh, together in how to proceed. But then the ideas of, of the lack of political influence also had to do with the fact that of racism embedded in the American political system. You can't always think of it as, well, it was the KKK who was doing all of this. President Woodrow Wilson was probably not an official member of the KKK, but he certainly supported racial segregation. He certainly supported the idea that African-Americans and anyone who was not white was less than those who were. And so he, as the president, the executive order had the ability to help slow any progress that might help mm -hmm. black people. So it was really what we're saying here that there are kind of first order obstacles and there are second order obstacles and really the first order obstacle, the foundational issue, is that racism was endemic in the US in its structures, Absolutely. in the way the society functioned. That's that's mm -hmm. the key issue. Absolutely. And, and the really things like the activities of the KKK are second order issues. They're not unimportant. Mm -hmm but the KKK wasn't the cause of racism. No, absolutely not. It was just one of the ways that whites reacted to any sort of forward momentum that African-Americans tried to, to prove. I mean, as far back as 1866, you know, really, yeah. right after the end of the Civil War. So it wasn't just these uh, unique individual entities, groups, organizations, this was endemic, as you say, throughout society. You didn't have to be part of the Klan 
to believe that black people were inferior and should know their place. Absolutely, because a lot of what the essay is built on, you know, the Jim Crow laws, the KKK in particular, they are a reaction to what was going on at that time. Um, and like you say, it's not explicitly said actually anywhere in this particular issue, but it is the endemic nature of it. You know, it doesn't really take into account the wider population who more than likely did support, you know, maybe not the activities of the KKK, but maybe the idea of it. You know, they did support voting restrictions because, you know, they, they felt like they were being attacked. And But white supremacy had to be upheld. Absolutely. You didn't need, and, and that is what is so interesting about how successful, how pervasive white supremacy was, is, is that you never need to even meet a black person to understand where their role in society is. Mm -hmm. It was obvious through the advertisements, through the stories and the songs, in the, in the actual cultural elements of art, mm -hmm. as well as in the history books, as well as in the way the laws were structured mm -hmm. to suppress any sort of black enfranchisement any, on any level, movement. on any level, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost indoctrination, if you think about it, in terms of the way people were, their, their senses were assaulted with, you are superior and they are inferior. You know, you would get it in school, you would get it in movies, you would get it just you in day-to-day -day society. Everywhere. It was It was constant. Yeah. Um, and you didn't question it. A lot exactly. of people just didn't mm -hmm. question it. So is that the kind of evaluative element in in the essay that students are asked to write in their in the, in exams that is useful? Is that the kind of is that the kind of evaluation that students are expected to deliver? Is it the kind of is it the kind of point you would try to get across to them to, to help them to uncover for themselves? It's certainly a point I would like them to be aware of as they learn about this particular essay because although the, the essay previous in issue one, although it does explore some of these elements, this is where they first get an actual appreciation for the treatment, the segregation, uh, the, the difficulties associated with achieving civil rights. Um, so in terms of the evaluation of it, whilst I want them to be aware of that, your evaluation should still be this is they have to decide which component they think is the most significant obstacle. And I very much encourage them to choose their own one because it actually doesn't matter which one they pick so long as they can justify it in comparison to the other factors. So for me, I do, I do tell them very openly, for me, if I were writing this essay, it would be lack of political influence because I believe it ties in with everything else. But a lot of them think the Jim Crow laws are a particular um, significant component because they feel evaluatively they can say well you know black people were trying to do this but they couldn't use the same room uh, they couldn't get in the same train they felt that the actual physical characteristics of day-to-day -day life were a significant component so it's all about how they make the comparisons if they can make a clear justification about why that particular um, ish, uh, that particular factor is more significant then they can gain the evaluative marks so when they write their introduction and they say um, so, uh, depending on the wording of the question, legal impediments were the main obstacle to the achievement of civil rights up to 1941. So long as they continue that throughout their essay, they will achieve the evaluative marks, but they need to have knowledge to back it up, or ideally a quote from a historian in order to do that. And if I may ask, mm -hmm. in terms of thinking about popular prejudice mm -hmm. as, a, as a factor mm -hmm. or a set of factors, mm -hmm. do students 
understand the depth of what Jim Crow life was like outside of the laws? Did they understand that there were there were de facto as well as de jure, you know, mm -hmm. by law mm -hmm. uh, understandings, right? Just as we we know today, mm -hmm. if it's if you're going, if you need to use the toilet, if you're you identify as as a woman, mm -hmm. you would go into the women's room and not the the men's. Mm -hmm. There were social ideas and norms that were understood, such as if you as a black person are walking down the pavement and a white person is walking up the pavement, the social norm was you as a black person will step into the mud, mm -hmm. step into the street and keep your head down. Mm -hmm. That wasn't written. That was just understood yeah. as social. And there were so many of them of how you must say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Mm -hmm. You will always be referred to as a boy. You will never be seen as an adult. Your masculinity will always be ripped apart. Your femininity will always be associated with uh, whoredom mm -hmm. and um, sexual uh, promiscuity. Mm -hmm. All of these kinds of things. Uh, children are black children are really to be. Uh, seen as pickaninnies and, you know, no more better than used for animal bait, things like that, mm -hmm. that you can see in postcards. But do they understand the social norms of how this completely, this atmosphere was everywhere? So yeah. Um, I think they, they definitely have an understanding of, like we said, the physical components of it. You know, I can show them images of segregated waiting rooms and uh, drinking fountains and the buses. And, you know, I, I can show them the pictures. We can look at footage. Um, Ava DuVernay usually puts out a lot of tweets that have really good content for that. Um, but a way I try to get it across to them is that I recently read a, a book of short stories called Friday Black. And I think it's the very first story in it and a man, a black man is getting ready to go to a job interview and he's getting dressed and he says, oh no, I need to dial down the blackness. I need to think about how I present myself to the world. I, I can be a black man, but I can't be too much of a black man. And I think that gets them to think, well, actually, every time they stepped out the door, every time they made a decision, it could have a massive impact on not just the rest of their day, but the rest of their life, especially, you know, for all, all the reasons that you listed. So I think they certainly understand the the physical components of it. In terms of the actual impact of it, I, I'm not sure they'll, they'll ever actually hmm. quite fully grasp it unless they go away and do a bit of extra reading. You know, I, I give them some extra stuff to look at um, if they want to go away and look at it themselves. A lot of the problems in unfortunately higher history as a whole is that they want to know what they need to know in order to write the essay whereas I think you and I especially we want to get into the really the really deep stuff about it so if there's time then yes I would go into as much detail as possible here is how awful this was and we as people in modern society will never really understand what this was really like but I will give you as much information as I can but there are some pupils who it's not that they don't want to learn about it it's that they just want to know what they need to know and then they'll probably have a cut-off point. But I would definitely like to think that there, there are, there must be plenty of pupils across the country who really get an understanding of what that life was like. You used the phrase there, modern society, and that makes me wonder, are there any contemporary resonances, any contemporary cultural, social resonances that you refer to in your teaching that perhaps 
make these historical issues a bit more real mm. for, for pupils who maybe have no direct experience of it themselves, especially not as it happened in the, the historical past. Yeah, um, it's very difficult because you don't want to belittle one topic by comparing it to another or, you know, do it a disservice or anything. I think at present, um, I do a very big push for equality versus equity in terms of a better understanding of that and um, we are a school that's very focused on supporting LGBT plus um, which I think is probably the closest comparison we could have in terms of modern society um, but it is a, a horrible part of the civil rights movement in that it is still on, ongoing you know looking especially at what happened with the recent US presidency and you know how that um, continued and even in the in the years running up to that and, and since now that we've got President Biden even just looking at that in particular and then obviously the Black, Li Black Lives Matter movement um, it is something that doesn't go away which is good you know it's it's really important um, the only issue I've found is that Black Lives Matter has become quite divisive amongst the pupils, some of them, I don't know if it's their misunderstanding of it. I had a pupil recently who asked about the phrase, all lives matter, and everyone in the class groaned at him, you know, they got quite quite upset with him, but we took a minute and we spoke about it, and once he understood why that phrase was unsuitable and why Black Lives Matter is the phrase that is used, he was completely on board with it. So whilst there are things that are current today, like LGBT and Black Lives Matter, and you know, what's been going on in, in Bristol, they then also become very difficult because of the lack of understanding with them or the information that's spread on social media or how young people especially are getting their information. It almost makes things a bit harder sometimes when you try to make modern comparisons, unfortunately. That's interesting because I was thinking in how Black Lives Matters, that movement and its grassroots origins is would be an easy comparison mm. to understand many of the grassroots organizations, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when you're thinking about how the youth has been involved, mm -hmm. SNCC in particular, and and how some people found it quite divisive, mm -hmm. others didn't, um, and the different kinds of strategies that were employed over time, and its dissemination upon the world, mm -hmm. and the world trying to understand what is going on with African Americans or uh, the descendants of enslaved Africans in terms of modern history and why there still seems to be such mm -hmm. a lag in racial equality and equity. Mm -hmm. But that, it still is quite confusing, it seems, for, yeah. for your students. Um, I, th I don't know if it's, I mean, we, we've recently created like a Twitter account and Instagram account because we think we're getting down with the kids and immediately they're like, oh no, that's old hat, it's Snapchat now. So as soon as you think you're getting on top of something that the kids are on top of, they're already onto something else. So particularly with what's been going on with BLM, you know, I'm on top of this component of it, but they're already a mile away looking at something else. But that's the same thing happening right now. Exactly. And, right, and in the past where this evolution of civil rights movement mm -hmm. that started with Nonviolent mm -hmm. uh, strategies. Mm -hmm. SNCC evolved. For, many left SNCC and started Black Panther Party. Absolutely. Right. That the idea that nonviolent is no longer the way. Mm -hmm. There has to be another mm -hmm. strategy to get 
the point across. Even in the very beginning, when we think about SNCC and the idea of publicity is what's going to make change, Absolutely. that people need to see what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. and, now, then, and now we're in a forum where publicity is, is everything and everything that is being done becomes public. It's not, you know, where they had a lot of, you know, where they had secret meetings or, you know, they would, um, behind closed doors. Now everything is in the public domain. It's on Twitter, it's on Snapchat, it's on Instagram, it's on all uh, the social media forums. And I, I think it's that bombardment that makes it very difficult for them to, makes it very difficult for them to make up their own mind. Hmm. And that's why I, I really encourage them. Like, for example, that, that pupil that asked about All Lives Matter, he tried to ask it in another class and the kids all shot him down and said, you know, you're wrong and that's it. Whereas I very much like to say, especially with a topic like this, you need to ask these questions, you need to figure out here's what actually happened versus here's what you read online. Here's why that phrase is inappropriate to use. I mean, particularly in this topic, language is so important. And even in modern day, all lives matter versus black lives matter. Language is still very, very important there. But as long as they're being open and asking questions, I'm completely fine with it because I know they're not asking in a um, derogatory or defamatory fashion. They're asking because they're curious and they want to know. Um, but it is extraordinarily difficult. Oh, absolutely. In, but in there, modern society. But modern society has worked <laughs> in such a way that a student or an adult mm -hmm. would say, why is all lives matter, not the right thing to yeah, say. Uh -huh. Because they have not been told, exactly. they've not been taught exactly. that for centuries, mm -hmm. let's be clear, for centuries, mm -hmm. anyone who is not white, mm -hmm. and, and, and even whiteness has its own hierarchy, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? And, and that's something that when you bring scientific racism in, that's a whole new other dialogue. Mm -hmm. but. Anyone who is not white has always been seen and treated legally, mm -hmm. socially, philosophically as inferior and therefore must be disenfranchised and mm -hmm. accept that mm -hmm. so that their lives do not matter. Absolutely. Of course it makes sense that someone would ask, well, I don't, I want to see equality everywhere. Mm -hmm. Why is it not exactly. all lives matter? It's because history has not been taught properly. Absolutely in the way that is fully inclusive and actually truthful in how there have been too many people, too many groups that have been marginalized. Thank you to Dr. Peggy Brunash of the University of Glasgow and to Anne McMillan of Brannock High School for what was an entertaining and I hope enlightening conversation today. The three key points to take away from this episode are there is a long civil rights struggle. The idea that the civil rights movement only really begins in the 1950s and 1960s is obviously not correct. There was a civil rights movement that predated the Second World War by several decades, and there are all kinds of continuities and discontinuities in evidence when we look at the civil rights movement in its totality. Secondly, we covered the idea of there being a first order obstacle and second order obstacle. And of course, the first order obstacle that we really talked about in this episode was endemic racism in American society. The other factors, like the activities of the KKK or a lack of political influence, are important, but they're second order issues that flow from the fact that American society in the 1920s and 1930s was fundamentally a racist society. And finally, as Anne talked about, it's possible to deploy primary sources in such a way that students engage with them 
as opposed to just looking at them. She talked about the Louisiana literacy test, and that shows that primary sources can be used in such a way that students actually have to think about what it would have been like to engage with these sources in contemporary society. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcasting the Past. I do hope that you'll join us next time when we will be discussing key issue three, the causes of the Great Depression. Don't forget to check out the link in the podcast description, which will take you to some of our key tools and resources.